you are aware, we've been for the past, oh boy, a few months now looking at the life of Moses. In fact, we went all the way back in the fall to where we focused on the call of Moses and the uh, incident around the burning bush, and that was quite a significant journey that we made, and it brought us all the way up to the new year. In the new year, we made a decision to also continue on with that study in the life of Moses out of the book of Exodus. But one of the things we chose to do is look at it from a different point of view, from a different angle of approach. And since we were moving into a new year, since we were also realizing that many of us are walking through seasons of transition, we decided to look at the account that we're going to be examining and have been examining for now for the past few weeks through the lens of trust and transition and adaptability through change, this lens of change. The realization being that there are times, as we've discussed, when change is something that is thrust upon us with little or no warning. We weren't looking for it nor asking for it. Something else occurred that you know, put us in a position to have to deal with it. Maybe somebody made a decision, and that decision that was made had an impact upon us. Uh, sometimes things happen, uh, and we're thrust into a, a season of bewilderment. Sometimes the biggest challenge in the change that we're forced to have to deal with has to do with just not being angry and bitter and, and resentful. But then there are other times we talked about change and how it can actually be something that God's trying to get us to open up ourselves to, right? I mean, there are some times in life where we get stuck in patterns and, and we begin to get ourselves grooved into a way of living that becomes a rut. Before long, we're, we're sort of going through the motion with things, and, but we're not really living the life that God's calling us to live. And, and there's not that sense of refreshing and, and something about it that sometimes change forces us into a place of new open openness that wasn't there before. So change can be um, unwelcomed or it can be welcomed. It can be something we're anticipating and praying for, asking God to bring about in our lives because we want it so desperately to occur. And so there's been so much around this that we've been able to share. Now, we've been using the account of Moses again. And when we left off last week, and I don't want to assume that everybody was necessarily here. I mean, I realize that a lot of us um, may have been, most of us were probably, but not necessarily all of us. And I don't want to also assume that everyone has a working familiarity with the Bible, or particularly the book of Exodus and the life of Moses. So let me just very briefly sort of set up where we are, and then we'll, we'll move into the, the passage that we have. But really, it's more than a passage that I want us to look at. I really feel that there's something that God would have us to wrestle with that will be beneficial to us in our lives. And so we'll get there. But I want to just, again, remind everyone that when we left off in Exodus the fifth chapter, we were talking about that moment where Moses finally made his way back to, to Egypt and he talked to his people who were at the time the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt and they were, they were uh, pretty much confined and that had become something they, were, they had become accustomed to, that slavery for generations now. But God had told Moses that he wanted him to go back and to let his people know that the time of that was coming to an end and that there was a point of freedom that was coming. And like anything that represents freedom, uh, there will always be a, a, a resistance. So anytime we seek to try to move forward into something that's beneficial, something that's good, something that's right in God's eyes, something that we're purposing towards, maybe some of us are doing that right now, we've really made a decision to push into something that looks like freedom. We're trying to get past some of our past our habits that maybe at one time they brought some degree of pleasure, but now they're becoming more tormenting and, and we have that real sense of being bound in them. There are dimensions of freedom that God wants to work into our lives. And that is not going to just happen. It, one of the things that the Exodus account tells us is that that kind of freedom rarely comes easily. And oftentimes it meets with resistance. So positive breakthrough, specifically that which is related to spiritual or relational areas, 
that have to do with God working in our lives is oftentimes going to experience resistance. Well, Moses went to Pharaoh, and God had told him, you let Pharaoh know that he's supposed to let my people go and worship him. When he went there, we know what happens. That Pharaoh, far from being persuaded by Moses' argument, um, or even his, his somehow his request to just be given a little bit of space to worship as a precursor to ultimately being set free, Pharaoh was so upset, so angry, so resistant, so hostile that it actually catches Moses off guard to the extent that when Moses walks out of there, Pharaoh is so angry that he decides not only is he not going to respond to Moses' request, but he's actually going to take things off the table. He's going to make it even harder for the people of Israel. And when they find out about it, the, the very the leaders of the nation that, that had given Moses permission to represent them and, and to let Pharaoh know about what was now happening, when they found out that Pharaoh, far from being accommodating, had actually resisted at an even higher level and stripped away their ability to make their bricks with the resources that they had previously, and now we're going to be expected to make the same amount of output with, with, the, with less resource. They were gonna to have to collect the initial resource. Anyways, a long story, the bottom line, is that by the time Moses walks out of the doors and meets his, his, the leaders of the people, they are so mad at him. They are so angry with him. They say something like this, why did you even come to us in the first place? You and your God ideas and big ideas about what God's going to do. You know what all you've done is you've made it worse for us. And then they, then they, they called down judgment over Moses. They said, we not only wish you had never come, we pray God judges you for what you've done to us. And so Moses is just literally, you know, he's stunned. He's, he's angry at some level because God hasn't given him favor with Pharaoh. He thought he was going to have an open door. It, it swings closed. His own people now, they're so angry with him. They don't want anything to do with him. And all Moses is going, Lord, I just did what you told me to do, and I've tried to be obedient. I took a risk. I didn't even want to go. You hear Moses say, I don't even want to do this. I do it, and then this is what happens to me. Thanks a lot. And that leads us to that first verse in chapter 6, which is a hinge verse for us. Because that's when God re responds by saying, listen, I'm going to paraphrase it. Basically, Moses, listen to me. I'm not done with Pharaoh. By the time he feels the force of my strong hand, I tell you, not only will he release the people, but he will force you to leave this land. They're going to be so ready by the time this is done to get rid of you. And sure enough, you read through the account, there were plagues and judgments, and by the time it's done, I mean, the, the Egyptians are saying, whatever you do, just get out of here, and take anything, take this, take that, take anything you want, just get out. And so they leave with a lot of resource with them. They're not only forced to go fast, but they're said, whatever you want to take, just take it and get out of here. And so they leave this way. Now the Bible sort of picks this up, and I would like us to look at it together, and then we'll We'll move from there. Look what it says in verse 17. And now this is in Exodus 13, uh, verses 17 through 18. I want to just read this real quick, again, in the handout as well. Then it came to pass that when Pharaoh had let the people go, so the time comes when they says, just get out, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, that was the shorter route. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see the war and they want to return back to Egypt. So God led the people around, notice this, by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So one of the things we note is that when they leave Egypt, they don't leave in a, as a chaotic mob. They leave orderly and they leave organized. And it, it says something about how God does things, by the way that this was not just some haphazard, reckless, run-for-our-lives moment. I mean, by this point, by the way, there are, there are a million-plus people anyway. 
And so it's, it's an extraordinary uh, number of people who are leaving Egypt, but they do it in an orderly fashion, although in haste. Hence the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is not only indicative of the fact that they were leaving in a hurry, but they didn't have time to bake the bread. They just had to take it and go. And it was a representation of how fast they had to leave. But look what, it, look what it says here. It says that when the Lord had them leave Egypt, he had them go in a specific way. I want to put a map up because I think it's helpful for us to look at this together. Again, so much of this region is in the news today. Uh, if we actually have uh, just an ear to what's been happening so much in our world, just as Jesus said it would be, the world's issues are centered around the Middle East. And in Matthew, he talks about how this is going to be the center of everything as the years progress towards, ultimately, he says, his return. It's an interesting thing that Jesus talked about here. But one of the things, again, going back, notice the, the geogra- geography here. See where Egypt is? See that land that's called Canaan? Canaan's land is really what we look at today as modern-day Palestine, Israel. That region is where they were being um, reminded that they were heading. Now, they could have easily gone from Egypt, notice, and stayed along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Also, see the, can everyone see the, the triangle there? That's the, uh, Arabian, the Sinai Peninsula. Still to this day, such a significant piece of territory. The two uh, pieces of water that turn into the Re- greater Red Sea, one of them is called now the Gulf of Suez. Up there, it's noted as the Red Sea. The other one, the Gulf of Aqaba. The, now there's a canal that connects everything. But before, there, obviously, there wasn't. The obvious direction, if you wanted to get to Canaan or Palestine, would have been to go from Egypt straight along the Mediterranean coast into Canaan. But look how God leads the people. He leads them down into the wilderness. It's a totally different route than what would have made sense. It's, a, it's an alter, alternative way of getting there, a much longer, more rigorous, difficult way. And God has a rationale for that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Look with me, though, at verse number 19. It says here, it says that Moses did something else. He took the bones of Joseph with him. Now, that's an odd statement. Who is Joseph? I mean, obviously, some of us recognize him immediately. Remember, it was Joseph who centuries earlier had, who had saved his people, who God had used to save them. He had used, them to de- he had used Joseph to deliver his clan, and that's all they were at the time, was just a large family the descendants of Jacob, who were the descendants of Isaac, who were the descendants of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph is one of the sons, one of the last sons of, of Jacob. He is sold by his brothers. An amazing story in the book of Genesis. Out of their spite and envy and jealousy, this ultimately dysfunctional family sells off their brother into slavery, thinking that they would be done with him forever because he was the favored one by his father. And what ends up happening is instead God uses this amazing uh, account of the life of Joseph. And Joseph ultimately finds himself in a position of great prominence in Egypt, rises out of from the prison to the palace, and in this amazing turn of events is given the position of second only to Pharaoh to help negotiate Egypt through what is going to be one of the worst economies of that, of that whole era. It was going to be a famine of, of significant proportion, and Joseph was given insight to, of how to prepare for it. In any case, it's a long, long story. The bottom line is this. Joseph ends up being able to be a deliverer for his people. Pharaoh entrusts him with the uh, you know, administration of the preparation. By the time it's done, Egypt is totally prepared for the turn of events, the bad economy, the famine. All the nations of the region come to Egypt for resource. In fact, a lot of them couldn't even survive. J- Joseph's own family returns to Egypt. 
and ends up finding that it is Joseph who has now been placed in this amazing position. And it's a, a stunning account. But the bottom line is this, that jo Joseph's family is saved. The whole family migrates to Egypt. They're given, because of Joseph's position, some of the best land in all of Egypt. They were shepherds. They were given the land of Goshen. It, they prospered fabulously. They grew into a mighty people. But as the centuries went by, other pharaohs came up that did not regard Joseph nor have a remembrance of him. And over, over a period of time, this thriving minority group becomes enslaved in Egypt. And so the descendants of, of Jacob become enslaved as the people of Israel in Egypt. But Joseph had said something. You can read it in the end of the book of Genesis. But on his deathbed, he asks his people to do one thing. He says, when the time comes, remember, at that time they were prospering. He says, but at, when the time comes, when you leave this place, it was his way of saying, God has said, this is not our home that when you leave this place, that has been my home. When you go back to the land of promise, Canaan, take me with you, take my bones with you. Joseph was probably mummified, and they were able to take his body with them and bury me in the land of my fathers. That was the request that was made. And so it says that God will surely visit you. And look what it says. It says they decided, they, they remembered that promise. They, they kept that oath. Look at verse, verse 20. And they took their journey from Succoth and camped and Etham at the edge of the wilderness. We're going to talk about that a little bit later next week. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And he did not take away that pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God's visible manifest presence was there in the form of a cloud, in the form of a fire. And there, there's reasons for that. By the way, those two, two descriptive, that, those two things become symbolic also throughout the scripture of the very presence of God. And so the cloud and the fire. But we look here and we look at this passage and we go, oh, that's a, that's a very compelling passage. It's interesting to see what happens. But I now would like us to interact with it differently. And I pray that some of this will be a benefit to us because there will be times in life where we will find ourselves in wilderness places. And so the first thing I would like to put on the board is this, that there are times when the way that the Lord has for us, when his way is the way of the wilderness. It may not, by the way, be our first choice. Uh, it may even seem unfair and unnecessary, but let us rest assured, the way of the wilderness is the way that he has determined for us to be formed and shaped and to be grown. One of the things that's clear is that Israel lacked an identity as a people. And we're told that, you know, they were led by God into the wilderness place. And when we think of wilderness, I want us to think about a wild place. Think about the desert. It's really talking about the Sinai wilderness, one of the most desolate places on earth. Um, when we think about that, what images come to mind? It's dry, it's desolate, it's barren. Um, it can be almost lifeless. Food, water, shade, these things are hard to come by. It can be a very hard and unforgiving place as well. I mean, that's just a fact. And yet God leads them there. And can you hear me? I think we all understand this. There are times in life where we, we find ourselves in wilderness places, and life can feel just like that. Like we are in a place that is just dry and desolate and barren, and it's hard to have a good attitude, and we are, it's hard to be grateful. I mean, part of them... We're saying, okay, we, we appreciate the fact that we're free, but this is awful. This is awful. And in fact, on more than one occasion, they will complain. They say, you know what? And they start, like we, like we all can do, they start romanticizing the past. And on different occasions, they're actually going to start saying, you know what? It wasn't so bad in Egypt after all. 
mean, we missed that. We missed those leeks and onions and the boiling. They, they, it was amazing how good Egypt became when they were upset with where they were. And it was, it's a tendency on their, they were not great, they were not happy in the wilderness. And yet, and I think a lot of times it's hard to be happy in the wilderness, and yet it's clear. You now listen, if I use the analogy, there are some wilderness places in life that we wander into them because it's what we chose to do. We made decisions. We're stuck in a place because there were decisions we made and it's got us there. And, I, and that's just a product of sort of having to negotiate through difficult uh, consequences that are attached to decisions we've made. I get that. There are also wilderness seasons in life when, you know, they are a result of, of things that, that really were, were, we had no power in. They, they sort of just happened around us. Uh, could be a turn of an economy uh, situation that occurs that's connected to somebody that we care about. I mean, a choice someone else makes. The point is there's also wilderness seasons of life that we're thrust into that, you know, it wasn't God and it wasn't our own doing. It was just things that happened. We live in a broken world. We live in, a, the Bible says it's, it's a sin-impacted broken world. That means there are good and bad things that happen. And some of those bad things that happen are enormously unfair. Part of what we know, that the reason Jesus came was to enter into this brokenness so that there might be a pathway of life in the midst of it. And so not every, every problem and every situation that we walk into that's bad is necessarily can be explained away by, oh, well, that's God's will. That's not all. A lot of it is that we live in a broken place with broken people where bad things happen. Choices are made. There are consequences attached to that. Sometimes it's our own doing. Okay, I, all, I said all that to say this, but there are times, especially with when we have a relationship with the Lord, there are times when some wilderness seasons, some wilderness places in life, are because God has led us into that. So I'm not making a general statement. I'm not even saying a majority of the time, but I am saying that, one, there are times when God leads us into the wilderness, just as real as he led Israel into the wilderness. Into the, and, and think about it. If you look at it, this, I mean, it, it, it was an, it's sort of an illogical move. And like Israel, we may be tempted to say, well, Lord, you know, why are you doing this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go this way? What are you trying to do? And the Lord is trying to teach them something. And one of the things that is so clear here, and this is the second piece to this, is that, and we'll just put this up there, is that not only does, are there times when the Lord leads his way is the wilderness way, but, but there's something for us to remember, that God loves us deeply, and there is uh, something about who he is. He knows us better than we even know ourselves. And I, I like to say that a lot because I look at this, and uh, do you know what? There is a tenderness to verse 17 that if you just read it, we read it through quickly, it doesn't appear. But it's so, it's really actually quite a tender word. I mean, I read it different when you, it depends a lot of times how you read something. You know, the Lord says this, when Pharaoh let his people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. The reason God doesn't lead them up to the land of the Philistines along the coast of the Mediterranean, you want to know why? It's because he says they're, they're a warlike, warlike people and Israel's, even though they have a lot of numbers, they're going to find themselves in a situation where they're going to be overwhelmed by fear. They don't have any weapons. They don't know how to fight. They have no organizational skills. They barely have an identity. They've been, they, it's almost like the Lord is saying, you know, they're going to go up there, and they're going to take that way, which looks like it's the easy way, and they're going to find themselves in a position where they're just going to get overwhelmed by fear, and they're not even going to want to go forward. They're going to want to run back where they were. And God says, I don't want you to take them that way. I want you to take them in a different way, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see what's going to confront them and, and they want to go back. He says, don't take them that way. Take them in this other way. And, and someone says, well, you know, why, did, why didn't he just work another miracle? And I don't know. I don't know why. I will say this, that usually God doesn't do those types of miracles frequently. That's why they, 
they're called miracles, right? I mean, it's sort of like they happen all the time. I mean, and the thing is, I, I, think, I think it's also true if we understand that it's particularly true when God is trying to grow a people, when God's trying to grow a church, when God's trying to grow a family, when God's trying to grow um, a, us as, as, as a man or a woman before him, that he's, he, he frequently will call us into a place that's going to give us the space we need to grow in an environment that's going to stretch us out. So that the easy path may look like it's the way to go, to coast along the coast, if I can look at it that way, instead of the wild way, the wilderness way. But in that, wild, in that place, we get to learn how to grow and be stretched. And also one of the things the Lord was trying to teach his people, I think, was that he wanted to form them to a place of maturity. And the only thing I really can say about that is just like with physical maturity, there are times, and any parent who's done this for any length of time begins to understand that it involves, maturity starts to involve a child. It's, they're cute when they're little, and, and we give them a lot of leeway and stuff. But as time goes on, as they start to grow, you know, and now we've, we've kind of walked through this process with four, our four children, and, and, you know, and two of them are now in high school, and then two are well into college, in their college years. And, and um, you know, you, you start, there's a point where you want them to take increased responsibility, that, that things aren't always going to be provided easily. There's cost and there's consequence. There's decisions, choices that have to be made. It's part of stretching someone so that they will be able to negotiate when they're confronted with challenging things in real life. And, you know, I think a lot of that is like the Lord. I mean, there, listen to me. If I can put, let me put it this way. There is such a thing as a love that stops providing. There is a love that ceases to enable what was acceptable when the son or the daughter was a child, but is no longer acceptable as an adult. And this is part of what it means, I think, to be also a good parent, is that there's a point where we start to say, you know what, that what was cute at five, at 25. <laughs> okay, now, and we have, some of us, you know, our struggle is we're, we, we've been living in adolescence for many decades. And God's trying to break us free into new places. And part of his growth plan for us is to bust out into new levels of responsibility and capacity. That there are ways of being and ways of, of, of which we have had to walk through things that the Lord is... Listen, I'll put it this way. And I don't mean to talk down to anybody. That's not my intention at all. Because God's still working in my life, that's for sure. But there are fact is that Israel had patterns of behavior that were associated with a, a, an enslaved mentality. They had, they had emerged out of Egypt as a people who were accustomed to certain things. And they were, as a result, there were patterns of behavior, uh, certain expectations that they had for provision. There was not an ease with autonomy. Or when they were put in positions where they had to trust God, it was hard for them to do that because it was all about what you can do to take care of us. So God was trying to grow them to points of trust. I was talking to my son uh, in fact, I was talking to, to him just a, uh, a few days ago. My oldest son, our oldest son, is, he's a, a junior. He's been going to state, but they, he got involved in a program. Now he's in South Africa, very far away, and uh, going to school there for a year. And uh, I, was, I was concerned about him. You know, I, 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 we hadn't heard from him. He wasn't communicating that much. Um, and so we finally got some calls going, and he says, Dad, you know, it's, it's expensive. Hint, hint, right? And so we were saying... Well, you'll do, you'll do well, son. You'll do well. And I'm sure they'll find, <laughs> so you'll find a way. 
But, but you know, he was explaining why he wasn't communicating. Just stay, bear with me here, because this is at least my story, and I think it'll, it'll connect at some level. He, he says, you know, he's talking to me. He goes, you know, things are slower here. At least where I'm at, he says, I, unless you have, uh, I don't have enough money to, to, do, to be able to get this thing, and it's slow, Dad. In fact, he says, in some things in this school, they don't even have it. It's not even computerized. You can't even register that way. It doesn't work that way. I go, so, he goes, so it's actually been quite an adjustment for me. Um, he goes, in fact, he goes, even with my assignments, I've been accustomed to being able to Google things quickly, um, get book summaries real fast. He says, now I actually have to read the book, and it's becoming a, quite a chore. And I said, well, that's good to know that, son. I, I, I thought that's what you, but we had, we had, we had a really not good, good conversation. I asked him about it. I said, you know, GP, you found a church yet? Because that was real important to me. And I, I said, you know, he says, you know, Dad, I, got, I was in a Bible study. So we started talking, you know. And the thing about it was, as I was in that conversation, it became apparent to me, more so than ever, that he was going to have to choose his way that as much as I wanted to see certain things happen, at the end of the day, now he gets to decide. It's not that we ever don't, but you know, sometimes a faith that is something done more for others or done because that's the way we've always done it, it really doesn't have deep roots because it's never really been tested in the fire. And there's something about having to make a choice for ourselves. I will choose to live for you, Lord. I will choose to follow you. Because you see, at the end of the day, that's what life is. It's, it's our choice to how we're going to live it. God doesn't ever force anybody. This is not about robotic automatons simply following God, you know, because he works some spell over us. We choose daily whether we're going to live for him or not. Because you know what? Love that has no choice isn't really love at all. It requires choice. Hence, God allows himself to be hurt by us. He is faithful and good. He is, as James says in the scriptures, he is very compassionate and full of mercy. Beyond holy, he is that as well. There's this wonderful passage of scripture in Psalm 103. Look, just real quickly, look at it with me. It says this, the Lord, and I love this. It's so poetic. It's so beautiful. It's profound. It's worth thinking about. Uh, the Lord is like a father to his children. Some of us might want to just say it. You are like a father to me, Lord. You're tender and compassionate to those who fear you, honor you, revere you in their lives. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth, they're like the grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and we die. The wind blows and we're gone, as though we had never even been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him and honor him. His salvation, his saving power extends, not just to the children, but to the children's children, generations of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his words and commands and live by them. What a great promise that is. Let me say this also, and this will be the final big piece that we have, that there is a way that God has for us to leave and to move into things. And again, I, I, I just stay with me as best as you can because I'm going to move through a couple of just real quick. I think they'll be valuable and, and important. One of the things that we can learn here is the value of when we, leave, when we leave and move into something new, in a transition place of life, of honoring the past. Honor the past. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, think about it. Remember, they said, remember the bones of Joseph. Remember the bones of Joseph. Why? What was that such a big deal? When you leave, whatever you're doing, bring Joseph's bones with you. Why? Because what did it do? It represented, one thing it represented was the good of what had been. And when we transition into a new thing, it's very important that we don't rush past our past and just totally write it off as whatever. We take the time to pause and honor the good that has been. We honor it. We honor it. We take it with us. There's a time, there are, and not only that, it, think about this, just, it not only reminded them of what had been good, 
but it also was a way of saying we are not a people on our own. We are tied to something. There is continuity in, in terms of the larger thing that God is doing. It's not just about us doing our thing. We're all, and we are all, there's not a one of us here that aren't connected to something that has brought us to this place. And it may be prayers of people that have been in our past, parents, grandparents, some people, we, some ancestors we didn't even know who prayed to God for us. Before we were even born, the Lord called us through their prayers. Many of us have returned home like prodigals. We've run our course. We're back where we belong, back to our Father who is in heaven, who calls us home, who puts his arms around us and kisses us and says, you are my son, you are my daughter. This is where you belong. This is our Lord. Now, we need to honor our past at times. Secondly, though, and they did that, but not just that. Notice this, that there are also, there's a value in being able to factor in um, deficiencies that we might have, think about this, and compensate in other directions. Now, they might go, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? What's, what's that mean? Well, again, what I'm trying to say is here, think about this. Israel had no idea of how to, I mentioned this, battle. They, they, they would have been overwhelmed by the Philistines along the coast. That's why God sends them in the way of the wilderness. And, and they didn't know how to do it. They, they would have been unable to survive. And the Lord knows that. And God, so God graciously directs them to the Sinai, a different, longer, circuitous route, a detour, if you will. And when transitioning in life, listen, it's important to make an honest assessment of our capacities and how truly prepared we are. Because I can tell you, I have watched people race into, through an open door. They didn't honor the past. They didn't think about the larger story of what God was doing in their lives. Other people were not brought into that conversation. It was a solo thing, totally off the cuff, all emotion. They run through the door because it swung open. And you know what? There was no real honest assessment, no real uh, conception of, am I truly prepared for what I'm committing myself? to is just dash and the problem with that is just like with Israel why can't we just go that way it's shorter it's the, it's the logical way because don't assume that just because it's shorter that that's the way you're supposed to go because the goal is actually to get there and to want to be there and to stay there not just to make an effort and then quit and there are times when we will we don't realize it but if we were to go the route that we wanted to go we would actually become overwhelmed and, we'll, and we'd end up quitting and aborting the very thing that God's trying to do in our life. And I, I'm going to suggest that there are sometimes a detour into a longer process um, is going to be better for us than the more direct route because honestly, even if God answered our prayer, we're not ready for it. We're not ready for it. There is a larger thing God's trying to do in our lives. I'm not making a blank. I'm saying in some cases, Hear me, if you hear it. Some of us are angry with God because we're saying, you know, you know why are you making me take this longer route? And the Lord is saying, because, because it, it, this wilderness way, although longer, can actually be the better way if it means we ultimately will prevail because we took into account our weaknesses, our limitations, our tendencies, and we begin to work at core issues of who we are before God at a very sincere and honest level that we were compelled in these wilderness places to find our identity in a different way than just some haphazard running after something that we're not even ready for anyway. Last thing I'll say about this is that in these places, we are to rely on the presence of God as we make our way through these, these places, these transitions of life. 
and loved ones, whether it's a, it's a situation that has to do with a relationship or just the basic seasons of life that we feel that we're transitioning into a new season, or whether it has to do with something that's connected to our career or our health or whatever, our own walk with God, we feel a call in our life maybe, let us be very careful to welcome in the Lord's presence to these transitional places, to say, Lord, would you be to me a cloud, a covering for me in the desert sun? Give me the shade. May your presence be real in my life. I welcome you into my life. I look back. I welcome you. I look, look, I look back. I look up. Be close to me. Be, a, be that fire. Guide my path. Lead the way. Illuminate me in the dark way. Show me the way to go and stop me if I'm going the wrong way. Help me, Lord. Bring voices into my life. Honest words, true words. Guide my path. Teach me how to live well to the day that I get to the end of this life of ours, which is the ultimate transitional point, that final box. And who knows when it is, but every one of us has a final box on the calendar. And when that box hits, our time here is done. Then what? Then the friend who has been with us in this life will walk with us into the next. Glory be to God forevermore. That this is a blessed hope that we, we hold to. But it's not just about getting to heaven. There's a life to live between now and then, and how we live it matters, and it affects people. The generations are affected by the decisions we make. May God grow us in our quality, in our character, so we make good decisions, and we refrain from ones that will corrupt and kill. May be called to life, not death. So, Lord, I pray that as we prepare for whatever else we have going on in this day, and there's many things perhaps already on our minds, and that's fine. But here, Lord, we think about big things, things that have eternal consequence and have significant impact on generations of people, people who some cases haven't even been born yet, and in other cases we have not yet met, but there is an appointment set, and it is coming. And so in these places, these nexus points of life where... Your will connects with our choices. In these places, Lord, where these moments and encounters occur, continue, Lord, we pray, to work and shape us and mold us into the people you've called us to be. Creative God, create new things in us. Be our Savior, Messiah, our great Lord. So we just commit the remaining minutes into your hands. Lord, pray that you'd bless our time also as a community in which we give and honor you with our, with our resource. But also, Lord, we pray for this song. We close it. it may be a final prayer for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.